The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson, and this week on the podcast, we're in Venice, Italy, with all the best places to visit. Give me a name of one place that you really like that's maybe... Oh, that's, that's asking inside information. See what I pry out of Monica. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to The Bike Goes On, people. It's Brian Casey with Sandra Bernstein coming to you from the beautiful town of Sonoma. What's Hi, up, Sandra? Brian. Good to see you. Good to see you too. We uh, we finally did it. I know. Can you believe it? Three <laughs> times is a charm. Three times. Okay. Is a okay. Quit breaking I, my habit. I know. So we are breaking so, some balls. <laughs> but we are really excited to um, get Chef Chris Costantino on the show uh, this afternoon. My phone pops up Chris Constantino I'm like oh fuck he's canceling he's gonna cancel again and I'm like there's no way if he cancels he's not coming on he's just not when we hit a million followers and it'll be like yeah yeah he could have come on three different times but he just he was too busy for us Thoughts gum is in the now. toilet <laughs> I had technical difficulties so truth be told, I'm sitting here talking to you on a restaurant point of sale iPad <laughs> because my fucking laptop imploded yesterday. So that was a whole other shit show to get to this point. Like, it's crazy. I didn't know if you guys were filming. So I'm like, I can't do it on my phone. That won't make sense. I'm trying to figure it all out. But the other times I've just been too crazy. It's what too are, much what, right now. What are you using on that POS? Use Squirrel, Romanco, Silverware? What do you got on there? Oh God. I don't want to I don't want to give them a shout out. They didn't fucking give me a discount during this shit. So they don't get a shout out. They get a bag of dicks. <laughs> Anybody that charges you full price during this is just not cool. Yeah. Especially when you don't use it for three months. Right. Well, okay. I'll have to tell you one thing though. Like I didn't want to spend any money either. And so I find this free app made by Google. Well, 90% of what Google makes is actually pretty decent. Like if Google went away, my whole life would go away. My calendar, my email, my every single all your docs, file, all your recipes, all, docs, all, all the recipes, your... all the cost out liquor recipes. <laughs> yeah. And so I get this thing on and it, it, it had the potential, it has the potential to be amazing and no charge, no charge to set it up. No, nothing. We were using it for the fig rig. And as they keep getting better, they keep getting worse. So like they go, Oh, now we can sync all your items. They sync our items and it syncs five locations worth of items. And I have to go through every item and delete them manually. I'm like, no. We're, no I'm updates. Not, yeah, no updates. No updates. I finally had to go. I'm like, free, I pay you to not do this. Yeah. Well, there is that good old fashioned saying, if you get what you pay for, but 
Yeah, I think, I, I mean, that's true. <laughs> I think that the, the, the thing is, is when it's a, it's a piece of, we've been very fortunate. There's been a lot of really gracious people that we work with that have been, that have weighed rental fees on dish machines because we haven't washed one dish, you know, and I, and I can't even begin to understand what they're going through as a company, but yeah. they looked at us and said, you haven't washed anything. Like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Why would we charge you? Um, so to have a, a POS company that charges you for um, technology that's not being used for three and a half, four months right. is really, I find, pretty egregious business practices. And also that's already paid for. I mean, they're not, they don't, they have some expenses, but the basic gist of the POS is done. Well, yeah. I mean, I own all the iPads that they work on, so yeah. I'm not renting the iPads. I had to go buy all those, so. Yeah. You know yeah. how long it took me to get money back from Airbnb from trips that I had planned during the COVID uh, shit, and they were just—they were non-responsive for a long time. Of course, they were. Yeah. Well, they're responsive now because they're going. They're getting in a lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah, I don't. You know, we we haven't seen the half of this yet, but I think we should focus on the good things that have come so far. Uh. uh the the uh, pen the Pentagon releasing the UFO information. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're finally gonna get to meet Eknorf, the alien yes. to Area Fifty One. Yes, been hiding out for years. <laughs> yes, we will. We will meet Eknorf. Okay, there's got to be something else. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think there's a lot to be said for everything that's going on. I mean, we definitely have. There's been a lot of light that's been shined on a lot of things. I think. Um, it's definitely reared its true ugly head of what our current situation is. But also it really showed the facts of how slim and how lean a restaurant really is. The fact that the system, let's be honest, the restaurant system's broken. We have a complete busted dynamic of how it works. And, you know, I, I mean, it's not like mine was perfect and you know we had our broken systems too but the the dynamic of disparities between front and back of the house you have the the razor thin margins um you know cost of goods have gone up incrementally every year but if you compare a tasting menu from now well not now but like let's say before the, let's yeah before covid to 10 years ago it's the same price same amount of courses didn't yep. go up. Like that's a problem. Yeah. And because you know there becomes a point where the public won't pay anymore, and and you know there's there's so many different things that I've really just kind of refocused. I mean, you know, we're definitely down on pollution, and a lot of, a lot more people are riding bikes, and a lot of people are getting their voices heard right now. Yeah. Whether which has been, I think, amazing, um, eye-opening. I've learned a lot. Um, I know it's kind of surprising that I've been able to shut up and listen because I'm pretty notorious. <laughs> <for it. laughs> 
we're just talking okay, away. He's but... smiling. He's smiling now, just because you can't see him. He is smiling. Um, it's been a it's been a lot, and I think you know, no one ever thought. I mean, look, we had SARS, and then we had swine flu, and then we had bird flu. You know, we should have seen it and thought about it and understood that something of this potential, you know, could happen. But we've become so dependent on this little thing here and that FOMO and that instant gratification and that we turned a blind eye to, to basic things that were right in front of our face that were warning us. And um, now we're, we're really in the thick of it. So that being said, um, it's been I mean, nice to be home and not travel and focus on my family and uh, try to look at long-term big picture decisions. But Chris, you said, you know, that people didn't see this coming, but that, I mean, you can look at a Ted talk from 2015 of Bill Gates and it'll scare the shit out of you. It's just that people don't, it's just like, climate, it's, it's like climate change. It, if something's going to happen, it's got to happen today or tomorrow. Otherwise, they're not they're not going to change in any way. Yeah, I mean, Trump comes in of, and wipes I mean, out the entire department. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, Obama had had a pandemic set up, put in place. Yeah. I know Bill Gates had been talking about it for years, but you're right. It, it's kind of like that concept of. You, you went to eat there. Let me see a picture of the dish. It didn't happen unless you posted it on Instagram. And I think that that is the, somebody's here. <laughs> it's a delivery, I'm sure. It's Amazon. <laughs> it's probably, it's not Amazon. Be quiet. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is coming over for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we try and pitch Oliver's Market to get sponsorship. It doesn't work for us either. <laughs> it's crazy. My foot yeah. massager just went on by accident. Bezos what? is strapped. My foot massager is under my desk. Your personal massager? Your what? <laughs> my foot. My foot massager. What's, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> wow, everybody's out of work. You know, in the press. Oh my God. So Chris and I met, um, I don't know. It was so long. We were in an awards show or something. Or No, it was even before that. that. I know where you're or thinking. Meadowood. You're thinking about the Meadowood thing, but it was even before that we met. We met at Meals on Wheels in oh. Fort Mason. Oh. And, and we met at Meals on Wheels in Fort Mason, and then we did multiple Quasa events together. And uh, yeah, and then then that event happened. Yeah, we're going way back, way 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 back. Oh my God, I think that was like the first year at Encanto, probably, or second year at Encanto. Yeah, yeah. the fact yeah. that I well, yeah, yeah. That's a long. And you've done a lot since then. I mean. Encanto and then the ferry building, all the stuff that you were doing there. Are so you I, uh, still are you still manufacturing major amounts of meat? No, Bocalone is closed. We we folded the company. It was 
one of the difficulties of doing artisan meat production and curing meat, you know, we were seeing a massive increase in artisanal pork, which we all know the price was going sky high because land was going sky high pricing all throughout Northern California. And that's where the pork was coming from. I mean, we really wanted to support local farm. And when you start supporting local farm and it just, we were producing, we weren't producing large enough quantities to make it work. You know, there had to be uh, right. big, Stay big high. numbers. Yeah. So um, hang on, I'm gonna tell somebody something. Somebody's <laughs> <laughs> calling me, I'm being respectful and telling them. Thank talk. you, my jaw is just killing me from mm. laughing. Um, Why? I, look, everybody knows I'm like, I'm like the dog in Up. You say something, it's like squirrel, and I look. Like, I have ADD. <laughs> I've always had ADD. I look at it as a superpower. It's what allow, has allowed me to Absolutely. succeed for this many years. And it's kind of funny because it used to be my demise. You know, back when I was a kid, when I was in any school, whatever you want to say, grammar school, middle school, high school, whatever. Back when I was in school, ADD wasn't a conversation. It wasn't no. really the norm. ADHD, right. they just gave you Ritalin, which I was one of the lucky test pilots for. <laughs> and um, they gave you a drug and they put you in a special needs class and they called you the word we're not supposed to say anymore. Right. Right? And so, lo and behold, I go to college or... And find out you're oh. a genius. Bowtech school, hands-on cooking, um, <laughs> as I like to call it. Home economics. Home ec. Hey, mom, I'm going to go to home ec school, which was actually fine. You know, um, I found that when I was doing things hands-on, it made a lot more sense. But you know, even at culinary school, I couldn't. I couldn't read the books. I could read, but it would take me ten times the amount of time to go through this shit. And the books were so heavily, the culinary school books were so uh, word-laden. They had not an image, not a drawing, no diagrams, nothing. I was screwed. Um, and then uh, I found Jacques Pepin's La Technique and La Method. And those are the reasons I was actually able to get through the program. Was because they would talk about stuff in class right and he would hold up the chicken and go okay this is what you're gonna do and then i'd go right back to my room and be like what's your chicken step by step there it is okay that makes sense because then you go to the school book and you're like first make an incision straight down the center of the breast to the left of the keel bone I'm like what the fuck is a keel bone <laughs> they didn't i know keels i grew up in new england a keel is on a ship I was just going to so, ask you, where are you from originally? Uh, born and raised uh, in Rhode Island. I, um, I grew up, you know, on Aquidneck Island. So I was surrounded by farming and commercial fishing. So um, some of my friends' parents, uh, who they are now, uh, these, these, my the kids that I was in school with, are now fishermen and fisherwomen. Um, but, you know, as a kid, I, you know, used to hang out with them and 
their dad would go lobstering and gill net and long line and scut pots and stuff that people don't do anymore. And actually, um, my friend, uh, Corey Wheeler is now, um, touted as one of the most well-respected female fishermen, um, on the East coast. And she, she does a lot of brilliant photography and great writing, but she's also an amazing captain. So, um, Chris, Chris, you know what, you know, when I think that ADD thing comes out the best for you is when you're doing your videos because you, uh, okay, perfect example, I think, is the steak tartare, which I've tried to get Sondra to change the way she does steak tartare now, but she ain't having it. Because I love the way you're using the fucking piece of saran wrap three ways. And you're very clear yeah. about the way you use it for how it's coming off the grinder. And then you're using it to cover everything. And then you're putting it under the bowl so it doesn't slide on the cutting board while you're mixing. I mean, it's brilliant. It's an eco chef. <laughs> Either that or I'm just batshit crazy. I mean, you know, that too. But it's those, it's those things, though. It's, it's those little things that you learn when you're working in a kitchen or in a restaurant that, that, you know, people at home don't get unless you show them things like that. That it's For us, it's like spatial awareness. Like, you know, we know where everything is and we can reach back and grab a, a, a dish rag because we know exactly where it is. Um, that, that just reminded me when I was watching you do that video, like that's something I would totally do, but I wouldn't think of explaining that to people, but you're, you're basically, you know, explaining the whole process to them. It's interesting how people react to it. A lot of people, you, you get two different, two different types of viewers. Ones that are like, Oh, that makes sense. That was cool. And, or you get the other one that was like, why are you talking to me like I'm an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of idiots out there. That's why. <laughs> Well, I think it's more about like, I, I think explaining and visually seeing things, it kind of like, it's about, it's not about beating a dead horse, but it's like about really repeating and, and it's the same thing in our, in, in what we do. We repeat things over and over again to create consistency, right? Repetition creates speed. Repetition creates consistency. So it's a really about reiterating that message over and over and over again to kind of drill it into somebody where it's like, say behind you, say behind you, say behind you. Now I go into the grocery store and say behind you and the lady thinks I'm trying to grab her ass. So yeah. It's like a totally, you know, it's weird. They look at me like, excuse me. I, I, oh, I'm just letting you know, I'm coming behind you with the card. I didn't want to start. You know? They're like, do I know you? I'm like, no, no, no I'm sorry. I just have one of those familiar faces. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm just being a creeper saying behind you, behind everybody with my shopping cart. Behind you. Behind you. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, you bring your East Coast sensibilities to the West Coast, like in your cooking, in your style? I mean, there's a huge gap between the East and the West. There's a lot of what I grew up with. Hang on one second. <laughs> what in the world? Easton? It's the alien. No, I think it's my son. I think my son just got home. Maybe he's probably he's got his like, headphones in and he's just girl. really loud. Oh. It really sounds like my son right now. Easton. 
Come say hi. I don't know if it's him or not. Who knows? How, how old is he? 15. He's as tall as me. Literally, we were talking before. I thought he was still 11, Brian. I was like, where have the years gone? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I like couldn't believe it. Remember, you would do karate with him, right? Karate oh, my God. Goof, goofing around with him. I would goof yeah. around with him. He was like, now he's just monster. Yeah. No, so I think... You know, when I first moved here, I think there's definitely East Coast sensibility is what I grew up with, you know, like super hyper seasonal, super. What is that? <laughs> it's weird. Can you hear it? Yeah, I can. I can, I can totally hear it. You can hang on. He's going to go so, track down the poltergeist. Yeah. Um, oh, it's not. Sonder, it sounds like like R two D two or something far off it in the does. distance. Yeah. yeah like a, oh, maybe it's a robot. No, it's my wife. She's on a conference call. My wife. My wife has. She works with. <laughs> moms demand action. She works with World Central Kitchen, so she's having a, um, a moms demand action meeting. Love it. Right now. Um, I think East Coast is a very different work sensibility. Um. Products are extremely different and they're hyper, hyper seasonal. So we have asparagus. It starts at the end of February and it goes till what? March, April, May, almost June. Back home, you have it for three weeks. Strawberries you have for a couple weeks. Blackberries, raspberries, a couple weeks. Here, like the, the seasons are hyper extended. So it's really hard. Like I love East Coast. I love fried belly clams and stuffed cohogs. Oh, and Ipswich clams are my oh, yeah. absolute favorite. This is what I do. I go to um, Central Term Grand Central Terminal in New York. You know that restaurant in the transmission? Oh, yeah. I sit down and I order, tell the guy, usually at the counter, I say, I want a bowl of Ipswich clams and a thing of cream spinach. And when I have like two clams left, I want you to bring me another bowl of clams. <laughs> clams are amazing. They're I so good. With... Oh my God. It's so funny I can't believe you just said that. Now I'm going to oh. think about them for hours. I grew up with all that stuff. You know, there's three chowders back East. There's New England, mm -hmm. there's Manhattan, and then there's Rhode Island. Right. And people don't know that. The difference between Rhode Island and New England is New England's cream. Rhode Island uses bacon. New England uses back fat. Rhode Island uses beer and clam broth and potatoes and thyme. There's no you don't, dairy. You, don't, mate, you haven't used any of those in your restaurants, though, really. You know, I do. I do clam cakes when I'm really oh. like missing home. I actually get the I get the Kenyans clam cake mix shipped out. They, I place an order. They grind it to order and then ship it out to me. And it's literally, uh, it would say it's probably 15 minute drive from where I grew up. Oh. And that's all they do, it's a stone, stone ground mill. It's where they make the Johnny Cake meal and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think the one thing that I brought with me that has been, I don't know if it's been a positive or a detriment, but I definitely brought East Coast attitude with me when I came here. And oh, definitely a good thing. <laughs> but as you well know, it, it rubs people the wrong way here in a lot of ways. So, um, 
Everybody's like, why are you so aggressive? It rubs you the wrong way? No, it I, rubs everybody else the wrong way. No, no, I, I'm so aggressive. Me, I'm, I, I have issues sometimes with people from New York that I work with in restaurants. And my wife does sales, so tech sales. So she says, she always says, I'll be bitching about this person. And she'll say, where are they from? They're from New York. Calm down. That's their way. She said, you just got to <laughs> learn to deal with it. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. You know, it's like we grew up with the mentality of you work hard, you play harder. Yeah. Right? And then you get up the next day and you work hard all over again. When I came out here, there was very much a work as little as I can to play as much as I can. Right. Very lackadaisical. I'll get to it when I get to it. And I was Hiring like, East Coast people versus hiring West Coast people, you need like three people to do the same work as an East Coast person. It's just different. It's a different yeah. world. Well, and it gets well, worse the further you go west. Try Hawaii, Sandra. Oh, I can't even imagine. That would if, make me nuts. Oh, if, if there's Actually, a big you know, swell, they just don't show up. Yeah. That's, you know, I spend a decent amount of time out there with a bunch of the restaurant folks. And those folks do, they work really hard because they need to work hard to, to survive there. Yeah. Right? You need to work hard to survive there. Because if you don't, it doesn't, I mean... They have, their season is basically 100% year-round tourists. So if they're not humping it, they got nothing, right? I mean, and the have and the have not there is very, very big, yeah. right? So I think it's, it's just an interesting, I mean, I came here, I moved out here in 96 because all the produce boxes said California. Everybody kept talking about when I was working at Bob Kincaid's, uh, Kincaid's American Brossery, um, or working for Mark Miller at Red Sage, you know, I used to get up in the morning and get in the truck and go to the produce terminal in Maryland, where all the produce came into from all over that was then distributed to DC and Maryland and all the Virginias. So we would have to be at the restaurant by four in the truck by 4.15. We would drive the refrigerated truck to go pick up produce. And by doing that, of course, like this was my learning curve, like your price plummets because you're buying direct, you're buying quantity and you're, hand, and you're cherry picking everything. Mm -hmm. So that was my first real, like working for Mark Miller at Red Sage, doing those kind of things was the first real understanding. But also I kept, you know, I volunteered for everything and anything that, you know, we got a private event, I'll do it. You got a off-prem off, off event, I'll do it. You got the meals, I'll do it. Destination, I'm in. You know, because I worked in the morning, I was a prep cook. And I just kept volunteering and volunteering and volunteering. And then it got to the point where I didn't have to volunteer anymore. They would just be like, all right, Chris, be here at six. You got, you know, we're doing this, okay. And then I started traveling with Mark. And that's when, it, because I volunteered so much, and they knew I would do the work and didn't bitch. <laughs> you're, you're, oh my God. Then Mark goes, uh, do, you, do you have a nice chef coat? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Well, if you don't, we'll get you one. Um, bring a suitcase tomorrow. Be at the restaurant by 6 a.m. Um, you're coming with me. And I'm like, oh, he's like, do you have a license? I was like, yes. He's like, give me a license to, um, at the time, 
Tatiana, who was his assistant and marketing director. Have Tatiana photocopy your ID, please. Okay. Hand her my Are hand. you together then? Uh, after the first six months of me working at Red Sage, yes. Okay. <laughs> and she comes and she goes, I was like, what's going on? She's like, you're going to Atlanta. And I was like, I am? She goes, yeah, you're going to Atlanta. Here's, here's, your, here's your license. And I come in, I have all my gear prep, you know, like ready to go. We literally go and I get to meet Jimmy Carter. I met Alice Waters. I met the Rathbone brothers. I met Wolfgang, Stephen Piles, Bobby Flay. Um, who else was there? Robert Del Grande. Um, God, there was, it was just what like- What was this, the event? What was the event? Do you remember? Habitat for Humanity. We cooked, um, uh, I remember our course was Cascabel marinated quail with purple Peruvian potato mash with a guajillo pineapple salsa. This I is remember. Tex Mex kind of. Yeah, I mean, this is Mark Miller. Yeah. yeah. 500 and some plates of that. That's a shitload of quail. It's a lot of birds. Yeah. And I remember cooking and prepping all of that. Like, but it's so funny. Like, I just think and that was like my first, I met Anton Moosman. Whoever like, that is. Oh my God. <laughs> Anton Moosman is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant <laughs> chef from London. Uh, just so like, I mean, this was just like eye opener, like brain popping event as a young cook. And then it just went from there. It was just like, we're doing a James Beard dinner, Chris. Back your shit. Yes, sir. Every time, you know, and like, it got to a point when I was there when it was time for me to look for something else. So I applied to work for Jean-Louis at the Watergate. And I'd met him at all the events. I kept seeing him at all the events. He's like, hi, chef. How are you? Hi, chef. Hi, chef. You know, totally playing the kiss ass coming over, checking out the dish, you know, seeing what's going on. I go and do the stage in the interview and he just says, no, vert. And I was like, <laughs> I was too fucking green, he didn't hire me. So that's how I ended up at Kincaid's. Um, and then, but that whole time that I was there, everybody just kept talking about California wine, California produce, California wine, California produce. So Tatiana and I packed up and drove across country and ended up in San Francisco. And that was in, all of us have done this somehow. We just were talking to Dustin Rogge, who's a, one of the professors at the Culinary Institute. He was at Farallon and Water Bar for a while. He's with Park, but um, he's an East Coast guy too. He's like, he was like drawn to California. I mean, you know, the cool part about coming to San Francisco, I mean, at that time when I moved here, there were three major epicenters of food at that point, right? 96, 97. Yes, the girl and the fig in Sonoma. We <laughs> opened in 97. <laughs> but think, no one knew us. Think about, think about food at that point, right? You had New York. Mm -hmm. You had Chicago because that's where Jean Joho was and Charlie Trotter, mm -hmm. right? And Rick Bayless. Yeah. You had New York because you had Danielle and all the big boys were there, right? You had New Orleans because you had Emerald mm -hmm. and Susan Spicer, right? And Paul Perdome. And then you had California. 
There wasn't shit in between. Yeah. There was yeah, nothing. It wasn't, like, even when I, I was in LA for like four or five years, I, I was never impressed by the culinary scene in LA. It was like very, very expensive. Not anymore. Um, Oof. Yeah, no, but but then it was like I couldn't even afford to like really go out. Like definitely would go to the dive places, go to the affordable places. And those the other places, they just for somebody else. They were for Hollywood or for whoever. And but, San Francisco wasn't hitting the mark either then. Well, slowly, slowly. When I got here, you had Think about this. Think about San Francisco at this time, right? You had Aqua, which was had hit the mark huge. Who was Aqua. it? Aqua. Aqua. Yeah, 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 yeah. Aqua. You had one market. Mm-hmm. People were still talking about Jan Beerenbaum up at Catahoula. Mm-hmm. You had Elka Gilmore. You had Tracy Desjardins at Rubicon. Right? Best new chef at that point. You had Vertigo with Jeff and Ahara. It's where I had, we had figs. That's almost where I named the restaurant at Vertigo. And then we had, I'm trying to think of all the places. You had Barbara Trop with China Moon. You had Postrio, right? And which originally was David and Annie Gingrass, which then became the Mitch Mitchell and Stephen Rosenthal, right? Then you had Hawthorne Lane. So like at that time, there was massive flying saucer. Come on. Like the menu that got shown with a projector because he was afraid you were going to steal his creativity. And then you had Chez Panisse was in Berkeley and you had Olivetto. So there was this epicenter of food here that made sense. It's like, okay, I can ride my bike. There's tons of food. I will have a job. I get here and it was hard to get a job. Where was your first job in San Francisco? I worked at China Moon. Okay. That was my first job. I took a job with Barbara Trop at China Moon. Um, and uh, Chef Jennifer was there, right? And um, that, that time, then Barbara became sick again. And she recommended that I go to a restaurant where the chef was gonna be hands-on with me every day. So I, I went to One Market. I worked at One Market for a little bit, and then I ended up at Rubicon. And I was at Rubicon for three plus years. Wow. And from Rubicon, then you did your own thing? No, no, I went to... back east. I moved back east oh. with Drew Neimport and helped open a restaurant on Martha's Vineyard. I was there for a year, and moved back. Oh. <laughs> She's gonna go beat him. <laughs> no, don't, don't do that, that would be bad. <laughs> You'll have PETA calling you for that one. You're not allowed to surf foie gras. You're not allowed to beat your dog. No. There's, um, it's probably Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. So we, um, I worked at Rubicon for a period of time, like pretty extended period of time. And then um, there was an opportunity to become a sous chef and help Drew Neimport open a restaurant on Martha's Vineyard called The Coach House. So I went out there for a year. We moved and lived there for a year. We spent a month in France, then we came back to San Francisco to help Paul Ehrenstam open Bellone. Oh. And I was at Bellone for a year and a half. 
almost two years, and then got asked by Michael Mina to help him start opening the properties in Las Vegas. So I helped him open Knob Hill and the MGM Grand. I used to fly back and forth with produce from the fair, like what used to be the old farmer's market, which was down on Battery. Um, I used to go down there and pick up produce and fly with it in, as my carry-on above me to the restaurant in, in Vegas. Like what? Like what were you, what were you bringing? Oh, I would have flats of cherries. I would have all crazy stone fruits. I mean, I would have, you name it, like I managed to carry it on the plane, right? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Michael, you need to get me a first class seat because then I can bring as much shit as I want on. <laughs> you want all the good shit. We got to, and Michael was like, okay, we, we'll get you not first class, but we can get you the, the row behind because then, because we were looking at ultimately what you could carry on the plane, right? Because <laughs> if you put it below, it would get fucked up. Right. So, I mean, I would have like flats, like boxes, you know, of, like peaches and nectarines and plums and cherries and I'd be pulling stuff out and Jim Reichardt was shipping ducks and I was getting lambs from from out here. I mean I was getting everything sent over. I would literally like have a lamb down below the ship. <laughs> so I was helping there for a while. Then I opened um what was Vertigo became Redwood Park. I helped uh that project open. And then I quit. I quit working. I quit for almost a year and a half. Wow. What'd you yeah. do? I raced bikes professionally. I wanted okay. to turn pro and had an opportunity to turn pro as a cyclist. And um, I quit and I raced my bike. I <laughs> was pretty crazy. Uh, I traveled all over the US. Um, I worked at the farmer's market. So if I, if I had to work at the farmer's market, I used it as training for my racing. So I would ride my bike. So I would ride my bike from the city all the way out to the San Rafael Farmer's Market. Oh my work. God. So I would have to be there at 6.37 to set up because I was working for Annabelle at Star Rough Farms. And if I was late, she would get mad. So I'd leave in the morning, ride all the way out, set up, work, then do a mountain bike ride after in Camp Tamarancho, uh, was it Tamarancho? No, China Camp with Johan Schmidt from the Apple Farm, Apple Farm. Then I would get back on my bike with my bag full of produce and ride home. And I would do that twice a week. I would do Thursdays and Sundays over there. Yeah. And then I would work in the city at the farmer's markets in here as well. But then I packed up and lived in my car for a month and a half, two months in Colorado. Wow. Um, I then came back to the industry. I was working with Paul Ehrenstam for the Kimpton Group and helping them uh, when Paul took over as the chef at Grand Cafe. And then they shipped me out to... That's where I was. That's where I was through that whole period, was at the Puccini and Panetti's Grand Cafe, working for the Kimpton people. Yeah, <laughs> and I worked for Paul in there, and then they shipped me to Aspen to help them with 39 Degrees which was their Aspen property. And I was out there for one full ski season, which was pretty did cool. Did Tatiana stay home the whole time through all of this, or did she go with you? When I raced my bike, she stayed home. When I was in Aspen or when I was in Vegas, like I would fly home from Vegas all the time, or then they would, she would fly out. Mm -hmm. So like I was in Vegas in the middle of the summer, 
And I remember the, the craziest thing ever was, you know, she would come out almost every other week and we got to see, I mean, we saw some amazing things when we were there. I mean, literally some amazing things. <laughs> I saw Rodney Dangerfield. I saw Bobcat Goldthwait. I yeah. saw, I saw Gallagher. I saw, uh, which, which Gallagher? Do you know? Do you know that his brother toured as him for a while? Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, Gallagher's then, brother went out on tour as like as Gallagher. Ended. A lot of people didn't even know. Oh. And then I saw um, George Carlin. We saw George Carlin. Um, I saw tons of like big fights and concerts and stuff like that. But I was there during the Tour de France, and I wanted to see what the gambling was like. But of course, everybody's like, nobody bets on the Tour de France. This is, this is America. We don't care about bike racing. <laughs> I was like, but if you go to Europe, everybody bet. This is America. We don't care about bike racing. Now they bet. After Lance won all those years, now they bet. Um, but yeah, I mean, she would come out to Aspen and, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun being out there. But um, yeah, I mean, I came back to the city and um, I, was, I went, Kimpton brought me back. The season was over. I'm back working with Paul and I'm sitting in the office and Paul's telling me, well, I've got to cut the budget. Um, Kim didn't just put down the hammer, so I'm going to have to let you go. And literally the phone rings and it's Mark Pastore calling Paul, asking him if he knew of somebody to be the chef of Encanto. And Paul literally just goes, he's got the phone in his hand and he looks at me and he just hands me the phone. <laughs> and that was the start of it all. Wow. Wow. You know, so that, I mean, it's really funny. A lot of people don't realize, I think, I think one of the things that is for me, which has been very important has been the longevity of time it took for me to get into that role. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't take it lightly. Um, I mean, I worked for years before I became a manager or a sous chef, mm -hmm. you know, um, I had these goals. Of course, every young cook thinks he knows everything and has these, ridiculous unattainable goals of I'm going to be a chef at this point and this time do this it's stupid because you don't have the skill set or the brain power and the and the, the wherewithal to get through all the crap you actually have to get through and I'm glad it happened the way it did because I, I was able to work in hotels I was able to work in you know standalone businesses I worked in casinos I got to see a ton of shit so I understand the difference between okay this is a hotel restaurant. You need to have three meal periods. You are affecting the ADR of the property, which then in turn allows the hotel to generate more revenue, which makes it a little bit easier on you. But you have to have dishes that are approachable for somebody from Minnesota, yet interesting enough for somebody who's, you know, savvy. So it's like, it taught me this whole thing. It's like, it ended up really teaching me how to check my ego and really look forward to cooking for the guest for the guest, not about cooking for your ego to, for bravado. And I think that took a while for me to get through that. Mm -hmm. I think that was the difficult part. When Encanto opened, I mean, it was pretty heavy offal. No, it wasn't. It wasn't at all? When did no. the offal so it was, it was a, it was an existing restaurant for a year before I got there. Mm -hmm. um, I was brought in a year, it was a year old, I came in, 
Um, and I really just started cooking Cucina Povera, which was the, the cuisine of the poor of Italy. And there was always an awful dish on the menu, but it was something that I was interested in and spoke a lot about because I wanted people to understand the, that cuisine of the poor. It's the cuisines of the grandmas, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're seeing all this conversation about the pasta grannies. Everybody's talking about pasta grannies and how key they are, to, and which is, it's true of any cuisine. The grandmas are the ones who hold the recipes, hold the history, hold the knowledge, and them, without them, cultures of cuisine would be gone, lost, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's interesting is I, I was really afraid for those cuts of meat for that style of cooking to vanish. It was prevalent in the US prior to World War II, mm-hmm. right? People ate it, it was part of the norm. During World War II, it was mandatory. All regular skeletal cuts were turned into canned meat and sent to war. So everybody was forced to eat these cuts. So then after World War II, we're a prosperous nation. Nobody wants to eat it. As, as my mom would say, nobody wants to eat that shit anymore. <laughs> because we were forced to eat it. Right. So now we can have tenderloins in this. And they had really kind of they figured out freezing. They figured out processed food. They started to figure out factory farming. So ultimately, it went from... Let's, how we have a farm, we kill one pig, we learn to put it, use it all, right? And the South was the only part of the U.S. that still held on to its history of curing ham legs, making offal, whether it's pickled pig's feet, chitlins, all those cuts, right? Those were norm. But for cities and everything, unless it was found in, uh, you know, an Italian market or a Mexican market where you would have menudo or you would have tripa um, in an Italian spot, or you would go to a Spanish, you know, restaurant and have tripe or whatever it may be. French cuisine always had sweet breads and had liver and foie gras, but it wasn't really loved anymore in this country because it skipped a generation, right? It was a generation of you force the kid to eat the vegetables. He's never going to eat the vegetables for the rest of his life right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. You force people to eat stuff they don't want to eat, but they're not going to eat it. Maybe if we forced everybody to eat like processed food for like a year, maybe we right. stop. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> well, no, it wouldn't because everybody would die of like cardiac arrest, <laughs> salt poisoning. But. So that's how, you know, and it, it became, it, it almost turned into a situation where it became like I was an evangelist for these cuts of meat. I mean, we would do one celebration meal a year to focus, you know, we'd call it Quinto Quarto or the fifth quarter, you know, bits and bobs, funny meats, whatever you want to call it. It's all meat. And it's, it's really about like what was being wasted, what was being put in the hopper or turned into dog food or shipped out of the country, mm-hmm. right? In some countries, those dishes were prized because there was only one per animal, right? right? And it was like a luxury. The wealthy were the ones who got those cuts, not, you know, but then that flipped and it's, it became a blessing and a curse. Like I knew how to use it, but I knew you, how to sell you it. You feel like you got pigeonholed in. Oval. Oh, I totally got pigeonholed. Like nobody yeah. would do anything yeah. like, you know, no one would ever say, Hey, I want to open a restaurant with Chris Cosentino. Why? Well, he's just going to serve a bag of dicks. It's gross. I don't want to eat that food. <laughs> Who knows what he's serving today? Like those things became 
synonymous with my name. And there wasn't the, there wasn't the, the there's two part, there's two sides of the coin, right? I was looking at it from the sustainability, mm -hmm. the long-term impact on the environment, uh, working with small ranchers and farmers, giving them the, giving the animal the respect it deserves, but also using everything and giving a proper amount of money to a farmer that they really need to survive, mm -hmm. right? It just got looked at as, if, I mean, if I had another comment about like, you know, like another zombie comment or it just got so pathetically old and tired that, you know, nobody thought, and still there is a point in which now, which nobody thinks that there's anything else I can do. Well, do you know any, I mean, cause I was just thinking, I don't think, I don't know any other chef that has really cornered a product like that. I mean, a set of products. I mean, if you think about it the other way, I mean, I don't know who's the fruit chef of the world. Who's the, you know, the, I don't know, help me out here. Like who's the poultry chef or who's the, I mean, you have something that nobody, nobody else can claim and not even just that. Yes, but think about it from this perspective. I'm going to do the I'm going to do the positive part first. <laughs> <laughs> you, somebody goes, hey, let's go out on a date tonight. Where do you want to go? Well, why don't I take you to Encanto? Oh my God, no, that's so nasty. All he serves is guts. Well, it was 3% of our menu was organ meats or OFO. Right. The rest was normal. Right. But the perception versus reality is, perception versus reality is, I mean, perception versus reality is, all I serve is guts. Perception versus reality, right? This is constant. Like, this is a truth. So when you start to look at those things, and you look at bigger picture, it's like, I spent more money on vegetables than I did on meat products. That's because they were so cheap. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, I'm kidding. It's I'm because kidding. I would process the whole animal myself. Yeah. At, at a point in Encanto, we were going through two whole hogs, three whole lambs, and 12 whole ducks a week, not including, like, I never, I never served a cut of beef that was grilled when I was there the whole time, unless it was beef heart. Wow. Hmm. I never served a steak. I never served anything like that. It was always a braised cut, an oxtail, something. Brian that, loves oxtail. I, I love it all, Sandra. And I think for some people, you, it requires a, it requires one of those experiences. For me, it was doing a doing a fundraising event in Petaluma and wanting to get um, beef. So I reached out to Humboldt Grass Fed and Leland was their, their guy at the time and said, hey, I'm doing this event. We're raising money for charity. You know, you guys be willing to donate. What are you looking for? I told him we're looking for like, you know, 35 filet mignons. He said, <laughs> he said what do you want me to do with the rest of the fucking cow? exactly and and it, it sort of if you ask people that wh what do you think we're doing with the rest of the animal Th these guys are raising these animals and then you want them just to cut off a piece of it and sell it to you what do you want them to do with the rest so he said i suggest doing something braised why don't you guys do some some braising and you can do some more interesting stuff and that for me that was from then on i was i was down for whatever when when john does you know the the porchetta de tessie i know last time i had the the picture of the pig in the pot up behind me, but um, 
I mean, it's all meat. And if you're going to kill the animal, you can't just take one piece of it out and, and expect that, you know, you chuck the rest away or put it into dog food. And there's ways well, to make it delicious. When was the last time you saw a centipede of pork chops running down the street with bacon hanging over it? <laughs> I don't know. Because that's what people think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I never saw that. Because <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, it's like, but that's the mentality. It's like, there is no such thing as an all pork chop pig. There is no such thing as an all bacon right. pig. Although, it, do you guys know what the tenderloin does? Do you guys know what the tenderloin does? Like physically in the animal, what it what its yeah. uh, purpose is? No. It's a turd pusher. That's all it does. That's why it's so tender. Oh my god, I'm never going to eat that again. No, it doesn't you touch the turd. It's on the it's on the it's there's two of them, right? They're on the inside and then there's uh -huh. and it pushes. Yeah. But that's what's funny to me. Why do you think it's so tender? Right. Cuz it's not really doing much. And that's what's funny. It's like the mentality of, of people get all worked up about stuff. And it's like, when you start to break down whole animals and you learn to use every cut, you learn to make terrines and sausages and you learn how to braise and really take a look at it from a bigger picture, you end up with a better product. You end up with a more educated guest. You definitely end up with more labor, but usually it was me that was doing it. Yeah. And, but it's also, it's exciting for your staff. And I think that's the part that we have to get back to is exciting the next generation to want to cook correctly and with heart and for the right reasons and breaking down a whole animal. Yes, it takes time. It's labor intensive, but when you do the math and if you do it right, it actually works out. You just have to be more flexible. On the that to me is like what makes sense. And, you know, that's not always easy to do. No. Especially here where we are really good to our animals. I mean, they, people don't realize, you know, Southern California, you got some, some factory farming going on in, and in the Midwest. But, you know, I grew up in, in Sonoma County. So I'm used to seeing cows hanging out up on the hillside, eating grass. Oh, yeah. And they have one bad day. And that's, you know, the, the day that they get taken down. But, but, but it makes sense to, to follow through with that. By, why invest all that time into these animals' lives to then just, to, you know, kill them and take one piece? And, and, and to your point, there is going to be some point here in the future where there is going to be just pork chops grown in fucking Petri dishes. And that's what, that's what they're trying to do. Well, that's, it's, it's actually very interesting because that is happening. Um, just like... So say tomorrow you need a kidney transplant and they don't have a donor. They can take cells from your kidney and grow another one. How long does that the take? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> Dude, I, can barely, I can barely count just one, one with all my clothes on, for crying out loud. Like, that's, that's, uh, but but you, it's true. I mean, things are moving. We've interviewed, um, remember we interviewed the people that were making the fake uh, charcuterie uh, renegade 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 yep. meats yeah I mean out of plant-based very nice people very creative but but the, but that I, kind of stuff that, that I mean to me it's gateway it's it's 
it's people that want to go vegan but don't really want to give up meat you're sort of the transition right. into that's the impossible burger and all those things is and, and even calling it meat is is yeah you know it's not if you want to eat vegetables just eat vegetables right. why do you have to be eat pretend meat that's a that's a transitional thing yeah i think there's i think there's a mind there's definitely a mindset and education towards looking at people's choices in food right and a lot of those um like impossible or all those things they're looking at ways to give people protein that may not normally think about having a vegetarian option or a vegan option right mm -hmm. they're looking at saying if i can get you instead of having a burger five days a week having it three and having a plant-based version while feeding the planet with very little and with a constant change happening right and i think that's what's interesting about what's being done like if you can take a cell structure say let's just use pork right we were talking about bacon let's take a cell structure and grow a cell in an environment that's clean and safe that has daylight nighttime that gets nutrients naturally it's not being given garbage but it can create a protein in a safe environment in a quarter of the amount of time that it takes to grow one pound of regular pork it takes a quarter of that amount of time to grow a pound that way is that bad if they're not altering it with chemicals if they're not doing anything right no water usage no feed yeah. no right so I think that there's a benefit in that if we look at it. It's like, look, I don't expect to see phasers anytime soon. We definitely have the Star Trek walkie-talkie happening. We're not teleporting yet. But we are almost to the point where you push the button and then whoop, whoop, there it goes, right? There's your little meal plate. I think there is great potential in some of this for the future of people having food that are in need and also for the future of having food in an environment that's changing a planet that's changing faster than we can control right yeah yeah i i i agree with you i'm not sure that eating a pork chop out of a petri dish is a whole lot different than eating processed food unfortunately but no. you don't know that because we haven't seen no, the tech. I mean, it's or or it's it's people want non-GMO. It's GMO all the way. I mean, well, it's how is it definitely modified if I take a cell, put it in this thing, and I it has sunlight, it has nighttime, it's given nutrients, it has oxygen naturally. They're not the difference between genetically modified is. If I took this pig cell and I took jellyfish cell on top because the jellyfish glows when it needs food. So I want to make sure I know when that that's genetically modified. In my mind. When you're splicing two genes from two okay, different creatures so together. Like an apricot and a pluot. I mean an apricot and a plum. Correct. But that's grafting because you're grafting one tree to the other to get different thing. But when you're taking a gene you know, I can't believe I actually understand this shit because I've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've come full circle, and now we know you weren't that word that you weren't supposed to say. 
So I think you were. The, when you look at the genetic structures, right, when you take a genetic, you know, you're taking a sample and you're putting it on a dish and it grows naturally, you're not adding other genetics to it. You're not saying, okay, I want plant genetics, I want right. jellyfish genetics. Like, there's corn that glows when it needs water because it has a jellyfish gene in it. Wait, is that true? Yes. That's gross. What the fuck are we doing? If, I don't know. I don't do it. I mean, we know it's out there. We've heard all about it. It's nasty. It's the M word. We don't want to say them because then they love that when you say their name. Yeah. So well, well, for me, it's cruelty to the animal too. Like there's petri dish. I don't see a brain. I'm not cramming it into another petri dish with forty other fucking pieces of, of pork <laughs> chop and making it piss and shit on itself. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, for I me, know, that's, that's interesting. Right. It's an interesting dynamic that I think has to be listened to. It's like, I don't, I've had a lot of bad versions mm -hmm. and I've had some good versions. So, you know, but like, look, I know all my farmers. I know all my ranchers. You know, I was just talking to Jen Reichardt from Liberty Duck. I'm going to be teaching wine. Yeah, we love her Jen. wines are great. <laughs> I'm very, very excited for her. Love Jen. Yeah. Um, so I was just talking with her and I'm going to be teaching a, how to use a whole duck on chef speed uh, nice. on, on the 16th, I think. Yeah. Sunday the 16th. So I just reached out to her to let her know I'm going to order duck and I'm going to feature them. And she was super excited. She's like, I'm going to promote the class, which I was really excited about. But you know, it's like, those are the kind of things like, you know, working with them. I'm working now with Encina farms. Are you familiar with them? Yes. The domestic yes. Iberico? And you know what? It's such a bummer because we, right before this whole thing happened, <laughs> we were working with them to start bringing in their whole pigs. It's incredible. I, I, I know. I heard it's like over the, over the moon. It's and super gorgeous. Whenever we ended up, we didn't, we didn't do it because we got shut down. Well, will you guys explain to people that don't know what Iberico pig is? So Iberico is a breed. So there, and I think this, this is the big confusion that people have right now. I, I said, I was posting about it the other day and they were like saying Iberico is from Northern California is like saying champagne is from, oh, yeah. right. you know, and I'm like, okay, let's just champagne is champagne from France. Yes. Sparkling wine is from California. Iberico is a breed. Right. Okay. Pigs <laughs> are different. So you have multiple different breeds of pork, right? You have middle white, you have Cheshire white, you have Duroc, then you have Berkshire, you have Iberico, you have Red Wattle. I mean, the, the breed of pigs is extensive. Now, these guys brought uh, Iberico breed pigs to Northern California. In, in the overhead... <laughs> so in Las Vegas, <laughs> crazy expensive. So now they are raising these pigs in Middleton, California, which is up in Lake County, which has similar, pretty identical um, geography and temperatures as Spain, where these pigs are from, and there's also acorn orchards everywhere. So now there is Iberico, and then there's Iberico de Bayota. Iberico de Bayota means the pigs are fed on acorns. Now, when you get, you can get two forms of Iberico from Spain. You can get Iberico or you can get Iberico de Bayota. 
So when you have the two difference, there's two different price points because there's a feeding on acorns and there's a non-feeding on acorns. So just because the name Iberico is a Spanish pig doesn't mean that it only lives in Spain. Yeah. Right. That's a really important component. Now, the pigs are all it's black. About, it's about immigration. Yes. <laughs> Which. <laughs> well, no, and my question is, whenever we're, we usually, we're, it's Iberico Lardo that we have on the menu. And I always oh. ask, I always want to ask the chef, why can't we feed these pigs chocolate? I don't know if they'd eat it. Because that's too damn expensive. The acorns how, from the tree. How good would that be? Well, you know, in Portland, outside of Portland, they are doing cannabis-fed pigs. Ooh. So what they do is they take, after the, after the cannabis goes to bud, they remove the buds and then all the swag, you know, like all the leaves and stuff and all the stems that they can't use, they feed the pigs. Hmm. So do you get stoned if you eat the pigs? I don't know. I haven't. It, it definitely imparts a flavor in the fat, from what I understand, but I have not had it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's tons of really cool potential to do really interesting things. Like, there's so much stuff that can be done. Like, you know, if you feed a pig watermelon, the fat is not as dense. Right. You can feed it tons. Um, so, I mean, it changes. The, the, what you feed them changes what they are, you know? Have you heard the new news that Burger King is now feeding lemongrass to their beef because certain percentage of their diet has lemongrass in it? And what that does is it um, cuts the amount of gas that it has. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we all need a little bit more lemongrass in our diet. There's got to be a catch somewhere, though. There's no way that they're paying <laughs> a lot of money for lemongrass yeah, to lemon cut down on gases. It. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, think, right. I mean, I keep, I keep doing all the reading and yeah. learn a lot of stuff. I'm well, I mean, we're lucky. We're, we're in a, we are, with everything we're going through, there is incredible innovation that's coming through and people are really smart and they're figuring it out. And we're lucky. We're lucky to see some of this stuff. For can, sure. Can we talk about what Chris is doing at, at Coxcomb right now too? Just with yes. his videos and doing the, the meals yes. that people that can be, make at home. I think, I think it's really cool. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, when we looked at um, what works as a restaurant during the closure, there really isn't not anything that works. Let's just be honest. There's no great financial model. Yeah. But the thing that was in my mind, the right direction to go was to do takeaway meal kits, right? So my goal is to create a thing. It's, it's kind of like chef enhanced high quality products, right? People go out to restaurants because they want to have the, the, the chef touch on the product. And I don't mean just like I touch the tomato and it's whatever. I'm talking complex sauces, marinades, the high quality farmers that we work with, the high quality meats, and using the product to its best ability, right? So by us choosing to do what we've done, we've made meal kits where people can take a, a meal that is, I'm basically their prep cook. So I do all the prep work, I take it three quarters of the way, and they take it home, have very detailed instructions on how to prepare it. 
So we take, for example, meat is sous vide to medium rare. You have a direction to let it sit out for 20 minutes to come to room temp before you plan to actually put it in a cast iron pan or grill it, right? Because it equalizes the temperature and lets it cook faster, more efficiently. We then provide them with instructions for the accompaniments. So for instance, right now we have, um, today we just put on um, Iberico pig's head panzanella. So we've taken the pig's head, we took the jowls off and braised them. I mean, these heads were massive. They were so big that nobody could use them at home as a whole head or a split head. So we took the jowls off. The jowls are gonna go as its own dish. We braised those. They're all, they've been cooked. They've been, they've been sous vide for people to take home, which they then take and they'll roast in their oven and get it crispy. With that, they get uh, potatoes that have been cooked in Iberico fat with bay leaf thyme and uh, romesco spice. And then we have Jimmy Nardello's that we're gonna char for them that they can take home and then throw in the pan in the last minute. And they'll have this big, you know, beautiful, jowl that they can then slice in and it's crispy. They have the Jimmy Nardellos and they have crispy potatoes, kind of like patatas bravas and, and romesco sauce. So, but the product is there for them in a way that it's not difficult for them to cook at home. You just have to have a good pan. We tell you your list of equipment, the ingredients that's coming, how to prepare it, how to plate it. And usually I try to put up a video on a picture but sometimes I just don't, I get caught Who, up. Who's doing all that paperwork? Like who's putting the notes together and... Right. I talk it through with my wife. Tatiana helps me and type it all out as recipes. Okay. Well, um, you know, some things are super easy. Like we're doing tripe, and a, tripe a la con, but it's actually my great grandmother's tripe served in a can like Campbell's soup. So we call it tripe a la con, C-A-N. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have a label on it that, that I'm probably going to get in trouble for, but it has our branding <laughs> on it. You, it. you take it home, you open the can, you pour it in, get it hot, and then you add your mint, and then you have garlic bread. So it's like, you know, there's super fun ways to make it great for people. Like, the key is nice packaging, easy to, easy to follow directions, and fun for the consumer. And I think the goal is really... A lot of times, these dishes that I'm talking about, I couldn't do as hot food to send home because it wouldn't be good by the time I get home. Yeah. It's also exciting people to cook at home. I'm giving them the tools to succeed, um, creating a great meal for their family, for their friends, whoever it may be, with me doing all the legwork. I'm sourcing, I'm marinating, I'm preparing, and then they're finishing, right? So we do that. Um, we've created a larder of ingredients that we feel are really special and important. So, um, you know, we have a gin that I made with one of our um, folks up in Portland uh, from the Willamette Valley and a Swallowtail Gin and I partnered and we made a hazy gin that's really fun. We're selling that. We have a new mommy rub that we use on all our, all our steaks. Um, we're selling red boat fish sauce because we think that's the best fish sauce on the market. Um, we have skateboards and hats and Jacobson salt and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, on top of, you know, tomorrow is every Thursday is tomato, tomato pie. pie. 
Tomato pie. I want a tomato pie. Oh, it looks so good. So we do that and we do oh. Bianca pie. So, and then Sunday is donut day. So uh, last week we did Dolce de Leche and we do this baked ham, egg and cheese baked donut bun. So we take the same <laughs> dough and as you would as a donut and you wrap it around an egg and it's got a runny center. Nice. And then, so this week she's doing banana pudding with Nilla wafer donut. Mm. So, oh my God. But it's fun. You know, it's, I mean, we're trying to make the most of it and make it fun for the team and create excitement for our guests that have been supporting us through this craziness. But it's really, um, it requires a little work on their end, you know, but I think the work is worth it because they're going to get a better product. It's going to be hot right it's going to be fresh um and that to me is a way better product when you get home like yeah i don't i love cooking and i understand why people want to order out too but a lot of times when you order out stuff's stuck together jeans are ready i mean i said the same thing today it's like our food in a cardboard box it's just not as good as if you eat it in the restaurant i mean it's just not going to be there but if it's done in a way where people can eat it off a beautiful plate at home, yeah. giving them all the successful tools, knowledge, and product to take home, the same things that we have at the restaurant, if we can give it to them in a way where they take it home and can make it magical, then we win. It relies on them to just follow the instruction to get it right. Yeah, Sandra, the other day I was watching the one with the, with the melon and the uh and the burrata oh, that, yeah, that and this week and on a big fig leaf and it, then you had the the fig leaf oil drizzled over the burrata. It was, it was beautiful and you even you even pre-scored the melon for him like there and even cut the little bottom off so it sat perfectly on the counter i mean it was that one's fun like that one i'm really excited about and the reason i'm so excited about it is because it's a classic right you know melon and ham but this yeah. is french ham and a Tuscan melon, but then you throw in the burrata, which normally everybody has with, they don't normally get it with fruit. I love burrata with fruit, yeah, right? Yeah. So when you start playing with people a little bit, and you know, we're, we're garnishing it with like dill and basil and mint, and, and it's really fun, but then you're, you're kind of forcing the hand, and then, but the thing is, is the presentation, you're showing them how to make it look beautiful in their own home, yeah. And then they look like superstars to their family. Yeah. And that's the thing. You want them to look good. So we, you know, I try to do the best I can. It's so how many people are picking up meals? Like, and is it, is it busy? Is it like typical restaurant? Like it's busier on Friday and Saturday than it is during the week or. It's, it's varying. You never know what day it's like all of a sudden last minute you can get like 10 orders or, right. you know, Saturday is always busy early. It's not busy late. We've learned that. People go to the farmer's market, they pick up all their stuff, they come and get donuts and get some of their dinner stuff and then they're gone. Fridays are usually really busy and so are Thursdays. Thursdays are crazy because of tomato pie day. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I saw, awesome. What is tomato pie? How do you, how do you make tomato pie? I know. I, I saw someone. I saw someone asking you about that today. About oh, is it, can I get tomato pie today? You're like, no, it's Thursday. I'm like, what the hell's tomato pie? So, it's is that a regional thing? Is that something from very regional? So, 
it's you find it in three places in the country. You find it in uh, Rhode Island, you find it in Philly, and you find it in Utica. Okay. So it is, it's a pizza dough that's pressed flat, okay, in a rectangle, like in a half sheet pan, mm-hmm. okay? And you pour tomato sauce on the top and you bake it, okay? The bottom gets, and the edges get crispy. The tomato evaporates and gets like a tomato pasty on it. Then you just finish it with a little chili flake, basil, a little pepperino. It's crazy. Like it's, for me, like I I feel very lucky. So the gentleman that works for for us, his name is John Tubolino and he's from Utica, New York. And for staff meal one day, I'm watching him and I'm like, He's like, I got staff chef. He's like, are you cool with doing I'm like, yeah, I'm going to finish all this prep. He's like, okay, I'm going to make staff everybody. And I'm watching him and I'm like, I think he's making tomato pie. <laughs> and he makes it. And I was just like, holy shit. Like it instantly, that, that, that moment of having that tomato pie brought me back to my childhood because Rosalie used to make it all the time as a kid. A lot of people think of it as focaccia with tomato on it. It's not. It's very different. They're two completely separate things. There is nothing. You cannot say one is like the other. Right? And he was like, you like it? I was like, yeah. He goes, I I want it to be a little crispier here on the edges. I said, yeah, it can be. But I think it's very powerful. It's like very real. And it just came tomato pie. We were like, tea. So okay, we, we want to do it on Tuesday. No, we'll do it on Thursday. And I was like, you want to do it? And he was like, okay, cool. I'm in. So we started doing tomato pie Thursdays. Wow. And it's been so fun because I didn't know it was a big thing in, in Utica, New York. I only thought it was a thing in Rhode Island. But I don't remember it in Philly. It's a Philly thing. So it's Philly. Maybe in South Utica. Philly. Yeah. Yes. South yeah. Philly. They yeah. call it they call it a tomato slab. A tomato slab. Of course. There's do. like terms. They have different terms for it, and, and it's just like. So we also make a Bianca, which is really great, as well. Um, we started doing baked stuffed shells. A lot of those things. Like right now, we're doing a, an Italian combo sandwich it's for really lunch. Really comforting too. I mean, people relate to that type of food now. It's really fun. Yeah. That stuff's fun. And awesome. travels well. Yeah. <laughs> well, it travels well, but it's also easy for people to take home. Think about that. Baked stuff shells. It's ready RTG, man. Put it in your oven when you get home. Have a salad. That's great. Like, to me, that's the kind of stuff that's, like, pretty powerful. Yeah. Like, we did, um, we do whole chickens at times, and we'll marinate, we'll brine them, we'll circulate them for them, and then all they got to do is literally take it out of the bag and drop it into cast iron and make it crispy. We take the work out of it. So yeah, it's like the bird's sense. moist. It's fun. It's been deboned. We only leave the drumette in. You know, um, we've, done, we've done setups for Wagyu tomahawks for people. We've, we've been having some fun. With oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did a three and a half pound Wagyu tomahawk, which was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, have you been this big? Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I but love yeah, when people it's, it's, order those. It'll be it'll be an hour and twenty minutes, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to see what people are gravitating towards. We've sold 
Uh, one of the big hits is, of course, pig heads for us. People have been ordering those like crazy. Um, we did do the half of Barico, and that's done extremely well. People are very excited about that. So it's good. So where can they get this? Where uh, Go to the website, go to talk, or? So the easiest thing to do is to, you know, go to Coxcomb website and then on there there's a link that goes directly to our talk talk menu okay. but we also we post everything up on uh, Coxcomb social media and I'm posting it on mine as well mm -hmm. as much as I can and um, there's a whole slew of videos now up on the website which show people you know a bunch of stuff so yeah it's been fun keeping people excited keeping us from losing our minds yeah. and what do you guys think if you had to guess like this changes every day for me. When are we going back to, when do you see us going back to indoor? I'm not going to say, because you're not going to like my answer. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing too. It's going to be a while. Yeah. yeah. You guys, <laughs> yeah. you going to make it, Chris? I don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to fight. We're all going to fight to, you know, to do everything we possibly can to get to the other side. We have to. I, I, think, I think the difficult part is, and Tatiana said it really well yesterday, in our industry, we have been taught to fight through everything. Yeah. So part of the difficulty is we're already tired because we've been fighting for so fucking long. Right. True that we don't really know anything else other than to fight. So the question at hand is, are we dumb for still <laughs> fighting constantly? Or are the people that are making the really smart decisions to shut down, permanently close and figure out what the right thing is moving forward? But that's fighting too. So I, I would agree that I am for I'm for doing less than more right now, but I think that's a strategy in fighting. It's hard. It's, it's a hard, hard decision. It's hard because it's employees and it's money and it's, you know, your reputation and, Elf. you know, everything. And everybody's got a different opinion about what's going on right now. Um, but unfortunately, opinions are like assholes. Yeah. Sometimes people have way too many opinions. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Which totally. means they have way too many assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was super fun. Even though it took us so long to get you here, it was amazing. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Woo! I knew she was going to take a dig. I just didn't know when. When she was going to get her second one in. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too hard on you. No. no. Yeah, and you guys, if you want to check out some of these cool videos, you can go to um, Instagram at Chef uh, Chris Cosentino and check out some of the cool vids. Um, other than making food, just some other fun stuff on there too. And and uh, you can check out some of our past episodes at thebikegoeson.com. And Chris, we wish you the all the luck in the world. Yeah. You guys too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Sorry it took so long. No, thank you. Thank you. All good. It's I'm our talking pleasure. Talking to you on a very small point of sale system. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and one of our longest shows in a while. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. That's this right. Is I got for a long walk. 
I have family downstairs waiting for me to cook dinner. I already did oh. all the prep work ahead of time. My Good hands job. smell like halibut. Yeah, <laughs> I got to I got to go down and finish the job. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I'll let everybody get going and you go wash your hands, go cook dinner. Yeah. Thank All right, you guys. Good talk. Thanks. See you Thanks soon. Thanks for having it. Look forward to talking to you next week, listeners.